Okay, what's up? G'day and welcome back to episode 6 of the Places You'll Never Care About podcast. The show where you pretend to be interested in the stories of small towns from around the world and I pretend like you exist. So come on in, take off your coat, pour yourself a pint and join us by the fire. It's nice to see a familiar face. Oh, and if you wouldn't mind, just leave your boots at the door, thanks. Today on the PYWNCA podcast, we find ourselves driving through the scenic southwestern corner of Western Australia. Depending on your geographical knowledge, you might be surprised to learn that Western Australia is in fact not entirely desert. If you were to take a moment to load up Google Maps and select the satellite image option, you'll see a rather striking contrast between the brutal red of the outer reaches of the Great Victorian Desert and the comparatively fertile green of the southwestern corner. Although you may not have imagined this to be a lush, lively landscape, you probably did imagine that the roads were long and straight, and indeed they, they are. Uh, located approximately five and a half hours drive southeast of Perth at the end of Highway 40, and somewhere along the five hour drive between regional southern coast towns Albany and Esperance on the scenic south coast highway, we find the subject of today's episode, namely Ravensthorpe. Population, approximately 500 or so. Like many small towns in Western Australia, Ravensthorpe was built around the turn of the 20th century on gold rush money, uh, but we'll get to that in a minute, as there is a rather important part of local history which predates the town itself. Um, yeah, here we go. Like many conflicts of the time, it begins with the arrival of the white man. Among the first Europeans to settle in the area were five brothers by the name of Dunn in the year 1868. The brothers spent some years clearing scrub and preparing farmland, which they came to name Kakanarup. Uh, of course, there were already native Aborigine people of the Noongar group living in the area. Um, initially, things seemed to have been fine, uh, with some accounts suggesting that the brothers had even employed some of the Noongars for help with clearing the scrub. Things seemed pretty good, alright, well, things seemed alright at least for the first 10 years or so, uh, but then soured in 1880 when John Dunn was killed by a Noongar elder named Yandawala as retribution for the alleged rape of a 13-year-old girl. Accurate details are somewhat difficult to come across, of course, um, and some sources contradict each other. Uh, fuck. But I'm sure we can all agree that what happened next was an absolute clusterfuck of colonialist entitlement and blatant disregard for Aboriginal life. Yandawala was found not guilty of the murder of John Dunn, uh, either due to lack of evidence or because death was probably considered a pretty reasonable punishment for the rape of a minor. Um, either way, the remaining Dunn brothers were obviously displeased by what they considered to be a failure of the judicial system, um, and together with a band of other white settlers from the area, took it upon themselves to then violently slaughter an estimated 30 Noongar people, including women and children, in what would come to be known as the Ravensthorpe Massacre. Uh, it's also worth noting that many sources detailing the history of the Ravensthorpe area note the killing of John Dunn, but fail to recount either the alleged rape or the following massacre of the Noongar people. Yeah, uh, in 2015, however, a memorial was created near the Kokanarup site, approximately 15 kilometers from Ravensthorpe Township, allowing passers-by to learn about this piece of local history that has otherwise been largely unspoken of for a number of generations. Um, so if nothing else, at least that is some small bit of progress. So yeah, that happened. Uh, it's pretty awful. Uh, yeah, it's pretty awful. And it would be a little distasteful to put a cherry sort of segue in after discussing such an atrocity. 
But the story of Ravensthorpe is much more. To, uh, there is much more to the story of Ravensthorpe. This sounds bad. The, the story of Ravensthorpe is much more than only the massacre, which sort of doesn't sound right, does it? Only the massacre. Uh, but anyway, here we go. Almost 20 years later, in 1898, one of the remaining Dunn brothers, who were quite noticeably not in prison at the time, uh, found gold in the Phillips River, just 10 kilometers or so west from where the town is now situated. A gold rush ensued from here, and the population boomed over the next 10 years to reach approximately 3,000 in the year 1909. Unfortunately for Ravensthorpe, however, the impending First World War took its toll, and this combined with an evaporating gold supply meant that most of the mines were closed by 1920. This, of course, caused many to leave town to find riches elsewhere, and things were not helped along by the occurrence of the Great Depression during the late 20s and early 30s. The population of Ravensthorpe dropped almost as fast as it had grown, but those who remained turned to agriculture to make a living, and despite resurgences in the minings of various precious metals over recent decades, it was the farmers who continued to make the community of Ravensthorpe what it is. Today, approximately one-third of the Shire of Ravensthorpe is productive farmland, used primarily for the growing of grains such as wheat, barley, and oats, and also for running livestock like cattle and sheep. These farms are the economic backbone of the community, but as previously mentioned, there has been mining interest in the area over the past couple decades. The Ravensthorpe Nickel Mine was built by presumably evil mining giant BHP Billiton for a whopping $2.2 billion and commissioned in late 2007, just in time for the global financial crisis, uh, which caused nickel prices to drop through the fucking floor. Um, less than a year after opening, the mine was closed and put on what we in the industry call care and maintenance, uh, where a skeleton crew keeps machinery in good working order should it become financially viable to resume production. The Ravensthorpe nickel mine was then sold to presumably equally evil Canadian mining giant First Quantum Minerals in December 2009 for the bargain sum of only $340 million. And they spent a year and a half implementing modifications to allow for greater extracting capacity. The mine was then reopened in 2011 and seemed to do all right for a handful of years until 2017 when it was again closed on the grounds of an extended period of low nickel prices. Uh, as of early 2020, however, the mine is open again in a reduced capacity and is expected to return to full production over the course of the year. I could have probably looked up if that happened, but I'm too lazy. Uh, restoring over 350 jobs to the area. <clears throat> Ravensthorpe is also home to the Mount Catlin Spodumene Mine, run by the modestly named, yet also presumptively evil, Galaxy Resources, just two kilometers north of town. Spodumene is a pyroxene mineral containing lithium-aluminium inosilicate, which can be refined for the lithium and used in products such as batteries. Batteries. Initially opened in 2009, the Mount Catlin mine was only open for three years until it was also placed on care and maintenance before opening in 2016, uh, after which it has operated steadily with regular exports to China. Uh, yeah, to regular exports to Chinese interests. Due to the nature of mining work, the schedule of employees is often a couple weeks on, couple weeks off kind of basis. This means that many miners live in other parts of Australia and will need to fly to and from their mining sites as dictated by scheduling. Uh, for this purpose, the Ravensthorpe Airport was built and opened in 2004 at a cost of $5 million. Confusingly, there seems to be another older airport to the northwest of town, 
And this is the one labeled as the Ravensthorpe Airport on Google Maps. It was a bit tricky to figure that out. Uh, this facility, however, seems to have been left unused as shrubbery can be seen reclaiming the runway. The newer paved Ravensthorpe Airport is actually south of town, just off the road to Hopetown, uh, which seems to have close communal ties to Ravensthorpe. You too can land your private aircraft at the Ravensthorpe Airport, but might we suggest you find a somewhat more reliable source of navigation than Google Maps. Landing fees range from $14 to $25 per ton, depending on the overall weight of your aircraft. But you can land there for free if you happen to be a local resident flying with a net weight of less than 2,000 kgs. These landing fees are well documented in the Shire of Ravensorp Adopted Fees and Charges 2019-2020 document available on the official Shire of Ravensorp website. Um, it's, it's pretty boring, I'll tell you that. Uh, this document is no less than 22 pages long and outlines the costs incurred by a range of products and services including impound fees for runaway pets, standard rates for garbage removal, and the costs incurred when burying a deceased person. In Ravensthorpe, it will cost you no less than $950 to bury someone. And you better do it right the first time, because it will cost you another $950 to exhume the body. Dying is expensive, uh, even, for the, even for the burial of children under the age of 7, which this document also specifies. It costs over $700 for a burial, um, which is a lot of money considering the, well, obviously traumatic period of time that uh, the family would be going through. Thankfully, a more affordable option exists. It will cost you only $170 to intern a person's ashes in a grave in Ravensthorpe, Western Australia. How's that for a bargain? As well as this largely informative document on fees and charges, the Shire of Ravensthorpe website contains a wealth of other information pertaining to various aspects of the community. A link to the Shire Facebook page is provided, uh, but this seems to only be used to provide information about rural road conditions and to urge residents to prepare themselves in case they should need to participate in the traditional Australian pastime of defending their homes and livelihoods from uncontrollable forest fires. The less official Hopetown slash Ravensop community page is used primarily by residents to inform their neighbours of goings-on about town or to ask questions, such as that post by Erica only an hour ago at the time of writing, captioned, mm, Can somebody tell me what kind of snake this is? Attached with a photo of a dead serpent that her cat had apparently dragged in, many residents agreed that they had wondered the same thing, uh, as some of their cats had also caught similar snakes recently. Luckily for us, completely unsubstantiated fact Jessica is here to fill us in. According to presumable local bushman Jason G, it must be a western crown snake I'm guessing. Thanks, Jessica. That was hugely unsubstantiated. I hope Jason G knows what he's talking about. No problem. Always a pleasure. Fuck snakes. So yeah, that was a little bit about the fauna of Ravensorp Shire, but what about the flora? Glad you asked. Here's the segue of the week, or segue of the day, whatever the fuck we call it. Segue of the day. 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 Uh, the Ravensorp Range which overlooks the area and the Fitzgerald River National Park just to the southwest of town, are home to a great diversity of wildflower species. So many, in fact, that more are discovered every year. It is estimated that around 20% Western Australia's wildflowers grow only in this area. Uh, the annual Ravensorp Wildflower Show, hosted in the Herbarium, the Herbarium, uh, does a great job at showcasing the beauty and diversity of these flowers. 
with a display of approximately 700 different specimens every year. Wow, that's a lot of flowers. Now, it was these wildflowers that provided Fremantle-based Dutch-born artist Amok Island with the inspiration when he was asked to paint a series of enormous murals on the sides of three massive grain silos near the edge of town. Titled The Six Flowering Stages of Bankskia Baxteri, each silo has a separate painting on both front and back sides, and, as the name suggests, each piece represents a different stage of the flowering process of Bankskia Baxteri. Standing at over 25 meters high, uh, the silos can be seen from a great distance and are a great point of interest for any visitors passing through. These paintings are part of a series of seven silo murals throughout Western Australia called the Public Silo Trail. Trail is a bit of a misleading term there, um, considering they're in Western Australia scattered about, they're fucking hundreds of kilometers apart. Um, so yeah, mm, called the Public Silo Trail. Each piece is painted by a different artist with widely varying styles, but all entries are genuinely awesome pieces of art, uh, and the accompanying website tells great stories of real Australians from each of the silo towns. Now, art seems to be a genuine point of interest uh, for the people of Ravensthorpe. The Ravensthorpe Farm Gate Art Trail, uh, probably a little bit more accurate to call that one a trail, although they're still a long way apart. The, far the Ravensthorpe Farm Gate Art Trail is a communally organized collection of over 20 installations based at farm gates, as the name suggests. Popular favorites include a giant blue and white tea set made of corrugated iron, and a giant bovine welded from an old rusting hay feeder titled Pabul Picasso. Do, do you get it? Like, um, like Pablo Picasso, he was like this famous artist, I think. Um, and then like, like bull, like Pabul Picasso. You understand where I'm going? Yeah, yeah I think you get it. Uh, like these, most pieces are constructed using reclaimed pieces of industrial equipment that would otherwise just be considered farmyard scrap. And the recycled nature of these sculptures gives the trail a very down-to-earth community feel. Hmm. Speaking of community, the local newspaper has really lent into their small-town nature by giving the fortnightly newsletter the simple title of Community Spirit. The newsletter provides articles about boring rural town life things. Uh, selected headlines over the past year include <coughs> New furniture for the veranda Work nears completion <laughs> And local family is farewelled Don't worry, they haven't died, they're just moving somewhere else for some other reason uh, At the time of writing, the most recent edition includes highly sought after information such as this week's specials at the Hopetown IGA grocery store which include Australian T-bone steak for $23 a kg and whitewashed potatoes for just $3 a kg. What a bargain. Uh, also in this edition, uh, the word of the day is obverse, meaning the side of a coin or currency note bearing the chief device and lettering, broadly a front or principal surface. In real human, word, it's just, in real human words, it's just the heads of a coin. So that's obverse. Why don't we observe that fact? All you need to do is just swap the V and the S. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, fascinating stuff, no doubt. But maybe something that might be a bit more of interest to the whole family is the yummy licious candy shack uh, featured on the front page of this week's Community Spirit for winning the highly coveted prize of best big thing on quote leading travel site whatif.com. Standing at 7.4 meters tall, 
and a whopping four meters wide. The world's largest lollipop looms over the brightly colored storefront on Morgan Street, the main drag through town. Admittedly, I, I scoffed when I first came across the yummy-licious candy shack on Google Maps. It has a vaguely threatening Hansel and Gretel gingerbread house kind of vibe to it. Um, too good to be true, like bright colors uh, with like big bits of like licorice sort of furniture stacked around outside and stuff. Yeah, it's it's almost as if it's too good to be true in a place so far removed from a town one would have imagined big enough to sustain a specialty candy store. Uh, <laughs> the Microsoft Word Art font on the on the sign and the clip art balloons that look like they've been combined in Windows Paint are the perfect kind of small town bad design ridicule fodder that we look for here on the Places You'll Never Care About podcast. But I was wrong. I was too quick to judge. I was a big city snob. And maybe you were too. Sorry. Uh, but that's okay. We're, we're here to learn. And the yummy delicious candy store of Ravensorp, Western Australia, is a great opportunity. The real people of Ravensorp, both young and old, seem to love the yummy delicious candy shack. The Facebook page is full of children's birthday parties and old folks enjoying ice creams. The photo on the front page of the community spirit that I mentioned shows at least like 200 people standing outside celebrating this new giant lollipop with family and friends under the warm Western Australia sun. The Yummylicious Candy Shack has been in business for just over three years now and may continue to put smiles on the faces of Ravensorp residents for many more years to come. Thanks. Just next door to the Candy Shack, uh, we come across Crazy Granny's Quilts, Arts and Crafts gift shop with its eclectic range of homemade handwares. Sorry. Well, that probably works. With its eclectic range of handmade homewares and quirky fabrics. It looks like the kind of place your grandma would spend an hour in, uh, but eventually leave empty-handed because she already has too much junk that fills the same purpose. She would never use it anyway. Uh, I must say, however, that the serving boards with colored resin handles do look quite striking. So, um, that, well, that would probably be like a good Christmas gift for your grandma or aunt or mum or something. Anyone, anyone, I don't mean to get sexist there by exclusively naming uh, female relatives, but anyone who likes to, you know, set up a little cheese board or something like that. Crazy Grannies, Quilts, Arts and Crafts gift shop, uh, colored resin handle serving boards. Go, go pick yourself one up today. Tell them we sent you. How about some fucking unsolicited product placement? Unsolicited product placement. <laughs> uh, just up the street from Crazy Grannies is the ever-important Ravensorp Cellars Liquor Store, which proudly stocks a wide range of local wines, as well as those from further afield. A few more steps up the street, we find the aptly named Bread and Butter Cafe, which generally has positive reviews, uh, but a couple poor comments on TripAdvisor, mainly citing unwelcoming service, have been met with even more unwelcome comebacks from no-nonsense owner and manager, Melanie H. User Bellboy53 left a one-star review due to a lack of seating and poor quality coffee, to which Melanie sharply replies, Uh, I don't furnish my shop to suit you. It suits my millions of customers. Which might be a generous estimate of her client base, uh, considering there are in fact only six seats inside. Uh, but y you get the idea. Uh, user Monica K felt that the owner was dismissive of her dietary requirements, 
when she asked which gluten-free options were available on the menu and was displeased when she was charged for a soup she could not eat due to the barley it contained. <laughs> Owner Melanie was not going to let this one go easily either, replying, With such a long list of dietary requirements that this particular customer could ever be happy. Hmm. Melanie, I don't know. That's... I'm not going to say it. Uh, other eateries in Ravensthorpe have more or less similar ratings on TripAdvisor, uh, with perhaps the exception of the Palace Hotel. Scraping in at a meager 3 out of 5, it has 4 terrible ratings to everyone excellent. Uh, established in the gold mining heyday of the early 1900s, it seems a very traditional Australian outback pub in appearance. However, the food seems to also be very traditional Australian outback pub in taste. And some reviewers cite the foul language of the local miners who also frequent the bar to be rather off-putting. Meh, meh, meh. Imagine being such a snobby prick that you're like, oh, these dirty miners come into the pub after working 12-hour shifts in the filth and they just want to have a beer and, oh, they've got dirty language and, oh, just fuck off. Uh, if you're really looking for the best place in town, then from what I can gather, it seems like Selena's Ravi Country Kitchen is the way to go. Particularly if you're after one of her prized pies or sausage rolls, there's some more unsolicited product placement. Uh, perhaps you might even like to try the hot chocolate after reading the TripAdvisor comment left by user Michelle HL9399LE, who claims it was the best she ever had. Uh, peculiarly, however, she still only gave 4 out of 5 stars, which begs the question of what must be on offer to achieve the perfect 5 in her eyes. Um, let us know, Michelle, HL9399LE, um, what, what, what could make that better for you? Uh, okay, so we're kind of dragging on here. Uh, this is only a town of 500 people. What else have we got? Um, you must have noticed by now uh, that this town is an absolute fucking rabbit hole, um, which is kind of uh, relevant to the fact that you might be interested, well, you might be interested to learn that the famous number one rabbit-proof fence, which dissects the entire continent of Australia from north to south, or from south to north, I guess, depending on how you look at it, uh, was, was the world's longest fence at the time of its completion, uh, runs through the Ravenshorps Shire, Ravensthorpe Shire, uh, where it meets the southern coast at the charmingly named Starvation Boat Harbour. Um, I wonder what happened there. I should have looked that up too. Um, due to its coastal proximity, the Shire of Ravensthorpe enjoys a relatively mild climate compared to many other small towns in Western Australia. The highest recorded temperature was indeed a crushing 45 degrees Celsius, but the average daily high during summer is a toasty, yet far more manageable, 28 degrees Celsius. An average winter's day is likely to reach a very comfortable high of 16 degrees or so, uh, but cold spells have been known to occur. According to the presumably factual website feargod.net, uh, Ravensthorpe <laughs> saw snow on the 26th of June 1956 in what is remembered as Western Australia's most widespread snowfall event um, in history. It's not a, not a sentence I ever thought I'd imagine that one. Western Australia's most widespread snowfall event. Hmm. Somehow, tying in with the weather topic, uh, might we mention the community organization geared towards helping struggling farmers, namely the Ravensthorpe Agricultural Initiative Network, which is cleverly abbreviated as RAIN. <laughs> get it somewhat comically, considering the fuck they get absolutely fuck all of that every year. 
haha. Uh, speaking of fuck all, the Ravenswap Tigers football team has fuck all competition to play against. Uh, in 2017, the Ravensthorpe and District Football Association competition, which is just Aussie rules for the rest of us, was faced with the difficult prospect of only having two teams in the league after the nearby Lake King Club could not field a team. Um, as you can probably imagine, given the fact we have spent the last 15 minutes, it's probably longer than that, How where are we up to? Oh, geez, 25. Um, talking about the fact that there's not much else to do here except mine lithium and eat candy, the players decided to go ahead with the season, and so the Ravensorp Tigers and Hopetown Southerners played each other every weekend for 10 weeks straight. Um, actually, it turns out one of them even won the championship. Great stuff, fellas. That's awesome achievement. Uh, finally, though, before we wrap up this podcast, we couldn't tell the story of Ravensorp without mentioning the volunteer fireman, Gary Webster, who traumatically lost his entire left hand and two fingers from his right into a piece of farming machinery. After eventually freeing what was left of his hands, Gary was able to drive himself to the medical center using only the remaining two fingers and a thumb on his right hand. <laughs> Somewhat relieved to be alive, Gary recounts the ordeal from his hospital bed, saying, Yeah, I looked down at my right hand and saw I had just amputated two fingers, and I thought, yeah, gee, this is just going not real good. <laughs> How's that for true blue Aussie poetry? Um, after a period of rehabilitation, Gary has been able to fashion a hook-like contraption which helps him in his daily tasks uh, and allows him to keep driving, as well as earning him the name Captain Hook amongst his volunteer fire crew mates. What a fucking dude. Uh, and on that note, I think we have got to call it. Uh, if you aren't still prepared to volunteer for your town after losing a hand and a half in a piece of farming equipment, then it's obviously not as worthwhile as Ravensthorpe, is it? Do you like wildflowers? Do you like art? Do you like giant lollipops? Well, then this is the place for you. Under the endless blue sky, set beside the majestic Ravensthorpe Ranges, and only a half-hour cruise to the beautiful Southern Ocean, Ravensthorpe, Western Australia, it will take you a half day to drive here and a lifetime to leave.